time that I went to Thailand, I saw the strangest thing. And in all of my travels around the world, I am amazed at the strange things that I continue to see. There are these beautiful little houses or temple-like structures all over the city of Bangkok with miniature Buddha statues, usually sitting cross-legged with their palms on their knees, open-handed. And people place dozens of candles in front of the Buddha and many, many plates of delicious, real food. I mean, so appetizing are these plates of food that as a visitor, stranger, walking down the street, I'm like, it's lunchtime. Let's eat. But you don't dare go and take Buddha's food. You know what I'm saying? It just wouldn't be cool. These are offerings of some kind to the lifeless statue of the Buddha. Weird, right? I've been to India three times. And each time I go, we pass by Hindu temples and we see the Hindu worshipers in brightly colored clothing, burning incense, chanting prayers, songs of, of some kind, and making their way to the river for the ritual cleansing. Last time we were there, a Hindu man that one of our missionaries were, had been ministering to him and his family and witnessing and trying to win him to faith in Christ, he actually committed suicide while we were there. We actually went to visit his, his home uh, and his family, and we found his wife crumpled in the floor, bawling with neighbors gathered around her. Uh, he had just, they had just found them with a chain around his neck hanging from a tree. Hours later, as we were walking to meet some others, uh, we saw this man who had recently taken his own life, they had dug a shallow grave. They had put him, his body wrapped in that shallow grave along the, the dirt path we were walking. They had packed his body with manure, cow manure, and they lit it on fire. And then afterwards, they take the ashes and they sprinkle it in the river, which goes into the Ganges River, which is the holy river in India. Weird. But that's their Hindu custom. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we would all admit that there are just some things and some people and some cultures and some religions, some fashions, some brands that we think are just flat out weird, right? Because it's not our brand, it's not our team, it's not our worldview, it's not our lifestyle, it's just not what we like or what we are comfortable with. And so think about it. I'm sure there are tons of unchurched people, maybe some who are visiting our church here this morning, who think we're weird. Like, what's up with the shoving people under the water back here and invoking the name of some Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What's that about? To some people, that's weird. And then we clap when the person comes up out of the water and... Why do we eat pieces of broken saltine crackers and drink little cups of grape juice and those tiny little cups? I mean, if we're going to have supper, why not some fresh-baked 
right out of the oven, pita bread with hummus and baba ganoush and, you know, and a real glass of nice wine, like Tabor Hill, my favorite. I guess us Baptists are weird and cheap. So we can all admit that at some time or another, we've, we've taken pride in our brand of whatever and whatever it is. And then we sometimes tend to look down on others of another brand. Yesterday, a Southside Hispanic police officer, friend of mine, was reminded that I'm on the North Side. I'm a North Sider, live on the North Side, pastor here in the North Side. And you know what he said to me? He said, oh, I shouldn't even be talking to you. You must be a Cubs fan. But you're forgiven. (laughs) We're all guilty of having a narrow view of something. And so the question for today is simply this. What about Christianity? Is Christianity too narrow? Well, if we start with the founder of Christianity, we find that Jesus famously said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's narrow. The English language, like most languages, has the ability to be general or very specific, to be very broad or very narrow in defining or describing a person, place, or thing. And so, for example, Jesus did not say, I am a way. He didn't say, I am an opinion. He didn't say, I am one of many lifestyles. No, the language he chose to use to describe himself is very narrow and specific. In fact, it is so narrow and specific, he excludes everyone but himself from this narrow description. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, that's a definite article, T-H-E. That by definition, he means to say that he is the only way and there is no other way to God the Father's glorious heaven. When Jesus says, I am the truth, he means that there is no other moral truth besides him. When Jesus says, I am the life, he means that in him alone is their true abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven. Have you ever been on a dream vacation? You're laying out by the pool, or maybe you're at the beach, you're sipping pina coladas and strawberry daiquiris. Of course, if you're Baptist, it's the virgin kind. And you just feel like you're in paradise, right? Suddenly, these words just come out of your mouth. You're not even really thinking about it. You just come out of your mouth. You say, this is the life. And a big smile comes across your face. This is the life. Wrong. You know how you know that it's not really the life? Because your money and your time runs out after about a week. 
or two on that paradise vacation. And you got to go back home to normal life. But you see, when Jesus gives you life, it's forever. And it doesn't depend on your surroundings or your circumstances because he is your life. It's him living his resurrection life in you. He is our hope of the glorious life to come. When people ask if Christianity is too narrow, they usually assume that narrow is a bad thing. Let me ask you something. Let's say for 40 to 50 hours of work each week, your company then owes you $1,000. But your boss comes to you on payday Friday and he hands you a check for 850. You look at your check, you look at your boss, you look at your check, you look at your boss, you say, boss, thank you very much, but I think there's a mistake. He says, what's the problem? And you say, well, our agreement is that I would earn $1,000 for my 40 to 50 hour work week. And his response is, why, why are you so narrow-minded? Why are you so narrow in your understanding of our agreement? $850 or $1,000, what's the big deal? You are so narrow-minded. How would you like that response? Not appropriate, right? You're thinking it's good to be narrow-minded. Why? Well, as it turns out, the bill collectors are narrow-minded. Your mortgage company is narrow-minded about the mortgage that you owe. The landlord is narrow-minded about the rent that you owe. The utility companies are narrow-minded about the utility payments that you owe. Matter of fact, the bank is narrow-minded about that car note that you got. Right? Very narrow. Therefore, if Christianity is based on Jesus Christ, and if Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, then yes, Christianity is very, very narrow. As a matter of fact, Jesus also famously said, and Doug, if you can put up Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So we should not be surprised that some things in life are narrowly defined. And it is not always a bad thing to be narrow. How many of you have ever flown in an airplane? Okay, great. I think, uh, I think you're going to love this one. When the pilot is landing the plane that you're riding on, how many ways are there to land the plane safely? How many of you would say, if it's the plane that you're riding on, I think it's okay to land it with the right wing touching the ground first. No? Okay, how about you, maybe some of you like the left wing to touch down first when you're landing. No? 
Okay, how about we nose dive and we go nose first for the landing and land on the nose of the plane. After all, you're sitting in the back, so hey, right? No? You know, in the 28 countries that I visited around the world, I've been on hundreds and hundreds of flights. In all the flights that I've been on, and all of them thankfully have landed safely. You know what, I, my preference is for the back wheels to touch down first, and then the front wheels come down, and then we taxi to the gate, and we get, get off. That's, that's, <laughs> that's how I like to land in the plane. In fact, all the planes I've been on, that's how we land. I've never seen a pilot going, you know what, we're going to try it this way. It's a narrow-minded pilot that always lands it this way. Narrow can be good. <laughs> Would you agree? Narrow can be good. It is safe. Absolutely. Now, the Apostle Paul one day was speaking to a group of intellectual Greeks who had the idea that there are many gods and many ways to heaven. Let's take a look at this conversation with this super smart Greek philosophers that he was talking to in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16, we find this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him, and some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seemed, seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're, you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the times set for them and the, the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own prophets or poets have said. We are his offspring. 
Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Now get the picture here. Paul is in the world-class city of Athens. Okay? He's in Athens, Greece. And he's waiting to meet up with some believers. And while waiting, he had some time on his hands. And, and so he began to explore the great city of Athens. I'm sure that Paul was impressed with the incredible architecture, the beautiful vistas, the delicious food uh, of Athens. And there you can see when my daughter Rachel and I were there in Athens, this is, uh, I think that's Mount Olympus overlooking the, uh, the agora or the marketplace that Paul is talking about here, which is Mars Hill, the Areopagus. Uh, but the thing that got to him the most was not the architecture, was not the, the beautiful vistas and the delicious food of Athens, but the thing that got to him most was the polytheistic culture of the Greeks in Athens. The word polytheistic comes from the compound Greek word, which means poly meaning many, and theos meaning God, many gods, or idols. See that there at the end of verse 16. Athens was a lot like Chicago today. Think about all of our many idols. Let me name a few. The Cubs, the Bears, the Blackhawks, the Bulls, any other animals? The Wolves, right? Lexus, Mercedes, Nike, Gucci. Did I leave out some of yours? So we are a lot like Athens. Many idols, many gods, small g. And the folks in, in Greece, they thought they were smart. They even had an altar to the unknown God. You see, they wanted to make sure that they were covering all the bases and not offending a God that may exist without their knowledge. So they erected an altar for an unknown God. The Apostle Paul capitalized on this altar to the unknown God, and he began to define the one and only true God for them, utilizing this unknown God altar. Now, you'll notice in the passage that Paul had many conversations. Uh, we could even say he argued with them in the pure sense of the word. He reasoned with them using his intellectual capacity by pointing out the truth about God, creation, and Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul was a jerk about it. Uh, he, he wasn't being mean or disparaging. He, he didn't put people down by defaming their character. He wasn't mudslinging or name-calling, yelling and screaming and pointing his finger in their face. Nothing like that. Uh, so don't think about arguing or reasoning of, you know, high tension, loud voices, screaming, shouting, putting people down. That's not the kind of argument that we're talking about here. We're talking about a rational, reasonable argument using logic. And so that's what Paul is doing because that's what the Athenian people were used to doing, sitting down 
and having these long conversations about all kinds of philosophical views on the world and religion. Now in verse 22, Paul was very gracious to them by com complimenting them about being very religious. But he was also bold about drawing a stark contrast between their religious views and his religious views. And then he argued for the validity or the coherence of Christianity. Verse 28, Paul even quoted some of their own Greek poets, but then he offers a practical explanation of how that fits within the Christian worldview. Incredible how Paul interacted with these non-Christians who were very religious but didn't have the truth about God and Christ Jesus. Now let's pause here for a moment and examine our own lives. If you claim to be a Christian, like Paul, in this text, when was the last time that you were troubled or concerned for the souls of unchurched people that you know? And what did you do about it? When was the last time that you made a prayer list of people that you know who need to know the Lord and fervently prayed that they might come to know Christ, even by your own witness? When was the last time you invited and brought someone to church? I saw one of our ladies here today. She said, I brought a friend to church today, and she's from Jamaica. I hope to meet that Jamaican lady because I'm from Jamaica. Listen, when was the last time you shared your faith story of conversion with someone who needs to know Jesus Christ? What if every one of us here at UBC who claimed to be a Christian started acting like Christians in this regard? Caring for lost souls, sharing our story with them, inviting them to explore God with us? And what if God decided to bless our faithful efforts? What if God began to answer our prayers and to use our testimonies to save our friends and coworkers and neighbors and family members? Our church would double in size this year if we allowed God to use every one of us to reach just one more. Bosses, co-workers saved, imagine. Totally changing the climate in the workplace. Think of the impact each of us could have collectively. Marriages saved, children heading in a new direction, full of hope and, and life and purpose. Bosses and co-workers change, saving, changing the dynamic in your workplace. That in some cases, I know some of you work in toxic workplace environments. Imagine going to church with your neighbors or having Bible study and prayer in each other's homes or apartments. You see, Paul cared about the lost conditions of the Athenians, and, and he didn't even know most of them. But he knew their culture, and he knew they were lost, and he knew they needed Jesus, and he knew they needed hope, and they needed to believe in the truth. And so his concern of care led him to share the truth about God, the good news of the gospel, so that all who heard him would have an opportunity to believe and be saved. 
we look around our city and we know one of the things that is burdened on all of our hearts is the, the gang violence. And some of us shake our heads and we say, when will it end? Or maybe we give up hope that it will ever end. And some of us pray. And then there are others who say, God, I want to be the answer to my prayer. And we go door to door, knocking on doors of guys who are pulling triggers and reasoning, arguing with them to put down the guns and the drugs and to pick up something else that we offer to lead them in the right direction. One of the men in our church, Tim, uh, is here. Tim, I've trained him to go on these custom notifications, and he was on the west side of the city just last week. I didn't even go with him on this one, and he said he went to like eight or ten homes, and every one of these guys were home because it was so cold, he, th he thought. Well, a bunch of people were praying for that, and, and even though we pray, a lot of times we go and the guys aren't home, and we might get 30, 40, 50 percent, but he said 100 percent of the guys he went to see were home. And so he handed out cards, and he pleaded with them to put down the guns. I imagine this. Here's a white guy with red hair in the hood. Did you have your Tims on? He went out and got him some Tims, you know, so he could at least identify the guys a little bit, you know, walk up to the door, what's up? And, uh, and so why does he do that? Why does he take time out of his work week, work day, because he's not just content with looking at the news and shaking his head and saying, this is crazy, or when will it end? But he says, God, if you can use me, I'm willing to go knock on the door of these guys and show them a different way and offer them something different in their life. Yesterday I was training about a dozen pastors from the south and west sides of our city so that we can multiply ourselves and increase our bandwidth to reach these young men. And we're partnered with the police department. The police department is now saying that we cannot do this work without the church. And they're welcoming pastors to, to be trained and to go with them. They provide the protection. They provide the intelligence of where these guys live and who these guys are. And we provide the grace, mercy, and invitation for change. What a, what a great marriage made in heaven, right? <laughs> but you see, it starts with caring. And then motivated by our heart of care and concern, we then go to share the good news, the options that are available. See, a lot of these guys, they feel like they're trapped, and there's nothing else for them to do. There's no way out, and we're there to tell them the good news that you don't have to be trapped or stuck. There is a way out, and let us show you. We can't make you do anything, but here, we're giving you the opportunity. Give us a call, and we'll get you some help that you need. One of our men who's here, uh, Joe Nassif Sr. and little uh, Giovanni, his grandson, a couple years ago, I went knocking on his son's door, just a mile and a half from our church on Ashland Avenue by Ashland and Foster. And uh, Joe was home, and uh, Joe Jr., and I custom notified him, and he started coming to our church, and, and uh, he brought his father, who's here today, and then he brought his mom, he brought his son, and, uh, you know, a year and a half later, unfortunately, Joe got in some more trouble, and he's sitting down at the county jail right now. And little Giovanni 
uh, came to me today. He said, Father, he said, Pastor, my, my dad said to tell you hello. He got a chance to go see his dad down at Cook County. And uh, we're praying that things work out for him. And, but you see, Joe Sr. is here because Joe Jr. brought him. And, and Giovanni is here because now Joe Sr. is bringing Giovanni. He says, I love my grandson. I love my son. And I'm so grateful for this church. And, Pastor, you've helped our church and helped our family so much. And, uh, and uh, he's taken me down there a couple times now to go see Joe. And we pray that, that Joe, we just sent him a Bible. I heard that Joe got the Bible we sent him there in Cook County. And, uh, but, you see, it starts with loving, caring, and then sharing. Just like the Apostle Paul did. And reasoning and saying, listen, there's a better way. And Christ died for you. Think of the impact we could have collectively. If it's not just Tim and me. But if every one of us decides to get in this thing. And say, you know what? May not be the guys pulling triggers that you're going to see. But it could be your next door neighbor. It could be a co-worker on the job. It could be some relative that you know it does not know Jesus. Does not have a relationship with them. Is not in church anywhere. The impact could be incredible. Paul cared about the lost conditions of the Athenians. And so he made it his business to share the good news of the gospel. So that all who heard him would have an opportunity to believe and be saved. None of us can save anyone. That's God's job. But he uses us when we humbly obey him and joyfully share him with others. We are not responsible for the outcome, but we are responsible to live humble, obedient lives in honor of the one who gave it all for us. If you read on in this passage in Acts chapter 17, you'll see that some of the Athenians sneered at Paul. Not everybody is going to accept the message. If you saw the 60 Minutes special that we did, they did on the custom notifications, the work that we're doing with the police department that aired last spring, and they interviewed a lot of the guys that we have reached out to, and interestingly, they, they aired one who took the help that was offered and is now working a, a legal profitable job and taking care of the needs of himself and his family. And then there's another guy they interviewed who was at Cook County who did not take the help that was offered to him. And he said to Scott Pelley on cameras rolling there at Cook County, he says, you know, he asked him, he says, why didn't you take the help? He said, I didn't believe it. And Scott Pelley said, so do you have any regrets now about not receiving and taking advantage of the help that was offered to you when the, you were still free and on the outside? He said, no. Nope. See, not everybody's going to respond positively. They didn't respond positively to Paul. The Bible says that some people listening to him that day in the Areopagus sneered at him. That means that they made fun of him. Nobody likes to be made fun of. But then it says... Other people said, I want to hear more. We want to hear more from you, Paul. We're not ready to believe yet, but we want to learn more. We've got more questions. Let's meet another time 
and talk some more about this thing. And then others, the scripture says, believed. The Bible says others believed and were saved and a church was born in Athens. When I was in Athens recent, uh, a few years ago with my daughter, we went and visited a local church there. And interestingly, it was some, mission, some missionaries from America who started this church. And we got to meet the pastor and we worshiped with them and uh, there was a baptism that morning. And it was incredible to see, and they were baptizing people that were fleeing from Syria and Afghanistan and uh, all over, you know, all this migrant migration because of the wars happening in these places. And they're coming into Europe. And this church is there to receive these people, share the gospel with them. And we witnessed several being baptized who had just come to, to, to Christ from Muslim backgrounds. It's incredible. And so some people will reject the message and the Savior. Others will say, I want to learn more. And get this, some will believe and become Christians. And their lives will never be the same. So the question for us this morning is, who is your one? Who's your one this year? Maybe you have two or three that God has laid on your heart or placed in your path. Pray for them regularly. Seek opportunities to care for them, to go out of your way to show them some love. My neighbor, Jamie, who is uh, an atheist, he's been coming to our Friday night uh, explore God group. For the cu first couple of weeks, he was the only one that showed up of our neighbors. And, uh, and then last Friday, another person showed up, and that made two. And though Jamie's an atheist, he's enjoying these conversations that we're having, and he keeps coming. He says, I don't know why I keep coming, but, you know, I uh, hope you don't mind. I know, you know, I'm, he said, let me just be clear. I'm an atheist, and I don't, I'm not here to be converted, but I feel like I should come, and, and I'm, you know, in, into this conversation. <laughs> I'm going, great. You're welcome here. Let's have, so my parents the other day sent some money for us to get a snowblower for the kids. Uh, they felt sorry for them. I sent them pictures of the kids out shoveling snow when I had my knee surgery. I couldn't be out there with them. So I sent pictures to my parents in Florida, sunny, fl warm Florida. And they sent some money. They said, go get a snowblower for those, those kids. I'm thinking, what happened to all the years I was out there? never sent any money for me to get a snowblower. So I get the snowblower, and uh, when we had the big snow this week and the cold, I took the snowblower from Philip, and I snowblowed Jamie's walkway in front of his house, all the way up to his steps, around the corner to his backyard. And I met him in the backyard. He was back there shoveling by his garage, and he turned around and he sees me. He goes, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm blowing your snow. He said, thanks a lot. Pray, show you care. Just go out of your way to show somebody some kindness and some love for God's sake, you know? And you never know how God will use that in their lives when you then open your mouth to share your story or invite them in to talk about Jesus. Pray, share, and then care for them. And listen, then pray for yourself that God will fill you with love and boldness to open your mouth and share your story of how God saved you. Think about it. It's your story. 
It's your story. Own it. Be glad about it. And joyfully share it. Because guess what? They can't argue with your story. It's yours. Just think about this for a second. Those of you who like shopping, men, women, you like shopping. Some of you like shopping. You get a good deal, you just keep it to yourself. Don't tell nobody. Before you even get out the store, girl, you better get down here and get yours. Now, don't get the red one. I got the red one. You get blue or the black, but do not get that red one. But you come down here, you get yours, okay? It's on sale, 70% off. And then you send them a picture. Look. Right? Now, who's going to be on the other line? Girl, you lying? I, I just sent you the picture. You're going to... That's, this is my story. Okay, then. Okay, you don't want to get yours? Okay. I'm going to get another one <laughs> for me. You get excited. You want to share. It's good news. And if they don't believe it, you said, girl, let me send you the picture. Dude, listen. Come down and get yours. In fact, I was wondering how come Tim didn't get me some Tims like he got. Um, so... Pray, care, and share. Nobody can argue about what get God did or didn't do for you because you already know what he did for you. So just be glad about it and share it. It is good news. It's good news. Share it. Go for it. You're going to be glad you did. And some will thank you for what you did. Even as I was telling Joe's story here a moment ago, Every time I see him on Sunday, he has a little tear in his eye and he just says, thank you, Pastor, for what you did for my family. And little Giovanni, I don't ever leave the church here without getting two or three hugs from him because he's as happy to be here because somebody knocked on the door and said, hey, there's a better way. God does his stuff and he uses simple, our simple actions and our simple words that don't seem like a lot to us, but God empowers them with his own anointing. And you, who don't think you are anything worth anything special, God uses ordinary people. And that's the message. So when people ask, is Christianity too narrow? Well, maybe so. But truth by definition is narrow. If Christianity is true, then it's good news worth sharing. And then now here's the inclusive part so that you can let people know that Christianity might be narrow, but it's also very, very inclusive. You see, God made a way for everyone to know the truth and to be f set free by the truth. That's why our memory verse this month is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. As you watch the Super Bowl today, somebody's going to have John 3.16 flashing in that crowd. They always do. And now you know what John 3.16, some of you are like, what's that John 3.16? Now you know what it's like, what it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's inclusive of everyone. So yes, Christianity is narrow, but it's also wide. And the, God flings his arms open to everyone 
who would believe. And if that's not good news worth sharing, I don't know what is. Let's stand as we pray.